Welcome to the Paradigms and Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Simmons, and on this podcast, we talk about paradigms and perspectives and how people can achieve different results just by changing their paradigm and their perspectives. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. First off, I want to say Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. We made it. And just like you, I'm probably excited about 2023. I got a lot of things in in store for you guys. So we're going to kick this episode off today with Becoming Limitless and Mastering Productivity with Jim Quick. Now, the source material from this is uh, from uh, Lewis Howe. So once again, special shout out to Lewis Howe. So I'm just going to be giving my insights from the insights that I received from Jim Quick and Lewis Howe's interview. So let's get right into it. The first thing that Jim said was the number one skill of the 21st century is to learn faster. Yes, that's right, to learn faster. And I truly agree with him. The number one skill of the 21st century is to learn faster because the faster you learn, the faster you're able to achieve your dreams and the faster you're able to achieve your goals as well. So I would like to talk about five components of learning faster. And the first four come down to the primary ways that people learn. So, of course, we've all heard there's the visual learner, there's the auditory learner, there's the kinesthetic learner, there's the analytical learner, which I have talked about previous times, and then there's also what I call accelerators. So let's get into it. First of all, the visual learner, which I'm a visual learner. As a visual learner, for us, Uh, We also can be a visionary as well, so hence, you know, from the word vision. But visual learners, we just need to see it. We just need a picture. We need an image. We need some type of inspiration in a visual format in order for uh, for us to learn faster and for us to achieve our dreams and goals faster. The auditory learner is exactly what I'm currently doing now. I'm recording audio uh, for you. Auditory learners, they learn through listening. Uh, they need to be able to listen, to learn, so that they can comprehend and interpret information uh, through auditory means. Then you have the kinesthetic learner. These are people that will touch. They have to physically feel things. They have to get their hands dirty. Uh, they are not like the visual learner where they can you can just show them certain things and then they're like, okay, I know what to do. Or they're not auditory where you can just tell them what to do. They learn by actually doing. So they have to do in order to know. That's how they operate. Uh, the analytical learner is the individual in which they need stuff broken down for them and it has to be a step-by-step process. So they need to know all the steps and they need to know everything that would be required in order for them to dream their dreams and their goals or to just a task in general. So you can't leave out, they're very detail focused. So you can't leave any details out. For them, uh, every detail is important. 
And then there's, of course, my accelerator concept, which uh, is the fastest way to learn faster because you're learning from others. You're learning from people that have experience or have been through things and that can share insights with you so that you don't have to necessarily have that ex- uh, go through that experience. You can learn from other people's experience. And, of course, there's five accelerators. There's mentors, there's consultants, there's coaches, there's trainers and advisors. And each level of the accelerator to help you accelerate is based on your needs. Maybe you might need a mentor just to briefly show you the way. Maybe you might need a consultant. You might need more a deeper expertise. Maybe you might need a coach. You might need somebody to you know, walk with you hand in hand or maybe even help you strategize to, uh, to help you execute towards those goals. Maybe you might even need a trainer, which is what I was, which is my, also my personal favorite. Maybe you might need a trainer, somebody that's going to really, you know, not just coach you, but somebody that's going to train you and somebody that's going to train you to help you become self-sufficient. Or maybe you might need an advisor, you know, somebody that has a deep level of knowledge at a, at a very, very high level, and that can take you into the stratosphere, and that can help you achieve things that you never thought was possible on your own. Next, Jim mentioned you're prayed for your brain strength, not your brute strength. I'm going to say that one more time. You're paid for your brain strength, not your brute strength. Meaning that it's basically muscle versus mind power. So let's talk about the brute strength because previously in the past it was, you know, your brute strength. If you were strong physically, then that's why you were compensated. And of course, people that had great genetics, but that also developed, those are people that were usually paid uh, the highest. Now, um, now we're in it. We're in a knowledge economy, where you can be paid for your brain strength. You can be paid for what you know, and also you can create more leverage. I talked about this in a previous um, episode, which I think was the uh, I think it was entitled uh, "15 Laws of Money" or "15 Laws Regarding Money." You can go back and uh, check the catalog for that. But basically, one of the the principles or one of the laws was. Basically, use your brain instead of using your body. And this is exactly what it is here with your brain strength versus your brute strength. Because your body is a finite vessel, but your brain can be unlimited. Not only that, it can create leverage. You can make money with your brain forever. But your body, like I said, that's something that's, you know, that's going to decay and age uh, with time. I mean, just look at athletes. Why do you think athletes retire? You know, once they hit that late 30s, early 40s, you know, you have to retire. Even uh, entertainers, even actors. I mean, yes, you know, you do have some actors that act all the way up until the last day. But, you know, you also, a lot of actors, you know, they tend to retire um, in their maybe 50s or 60s or some even actors even retired before that. But the point is, is that if you can find a way to be paid for your brain strength, 
aesthetic approved strain, uh, that's a huge uh, competitive advantage. There's no owner manual for your mind. Now, usually there's a manual that comes with a certain product. Uh, when you buy it, it's usually to tell you how to operate that product. But as Jim said, when it comes to your brain or when it comes to your mind, there is no manual. You have to go out and create your own. And this is also falls right in line when I always talk about the paradigms. The paradigm is basically your manual. Now, you can learn this. Once again, I always say there's three ways to learn. There's the trial and error. There's the research. And then there's the accelerator path. The good thing for you guys is that I can be that accelerator for you. And I'm talking about the paradigm. And I'm trying to provide people with ownership manuals so that they don't have to go create your own. But there's still beauty in creating your own. In which even though I'm giving you a manual, you can create your own. Or there could be an integrated manual that can really help you uh, accelerate that. But yeah, I see the beauty. I see the opportunity uh, in, in um, being able to create your own manual. But most people would love to have had a manual and say, hey, this is how your mind works. And this is how you can really truly be effective um, with creating a manual for your mind. This is why personal development has been so critical because we get to share uh, best practices and blueprints on how to help you create a manual for your mind. The human capability has no limits. Yes, that's right. The human capability has no limits. And it comes down to three things to justify that the human capability has no limits. Number one, uh, determination. Uh, determination is not like an hourglass uh, where you just run out of determination. Uh, determination, I feel like, is based on motivation, which is based on motive. Uh, it's also based on uh, purpose. But once again, it also really comes down to the paradigm. Your paradigm and your perspective, which forms your identity, will determine your level of determination. Or as I talk about with the six degrees of ambition, that's really, to answer that question, that's really where determination comes from. Determination is based on identity. Well, yes, determination is based on ambition, and ambition is based on identity. And identity is, comes from your perspective, and your perspective comes from your paradigm. So hence, uh, everything does tie back to the paradigm. Uh, imagination, same thing. Imagination has no limits. Uh, it's not that you know you become or that your imagination becomes greater with time or it's only your imagination is only great in your youth. Uh, same thing, you know, imagination uh, can be endless. Then, of course, creativity. Uh, same thing with determination, same thing with imagination. Uh, creativity is unlimited. Uh, I do believe in the concept of being a, uh, a natural or a creative and there's a difference between being a creative and being uh, creativity. Uh, and really quick to just go for that. 
uh, creativity is just uh, coming up with a different strategy or uh, trying to be more insightful on how to solve a problem, a want, a need, or in sense to achieve a goal. Creatives, on the other hand, like we're naturally creative now. Creativity still, as a creative, even though you're natural, it still has to be developed. But it's just something that was given to you at birth. It was something that was given to you in your DNA. And I know a lot of people don't really like to understand that, but we're all given with certain natural talents at birth. And I'm very fortunate to be a creative, uh, and I truly appreciate it. So that's the difference between being a creative and creativity. But one thing we do all have in common is that our human capability has no limits because we all have determination, imagination, and creativity that knows no bounds. The human brain learns through creation, not consumption. And when he said that, that was mind-blowing. So I have to say it one more time. The human brain learns through creation, not consumption. Now, even when you consume certain things, I think the reason why the brain do learns through creation, because even though you consume something, you have to convert that into creation. You have to create an experience for yourself in order for you to get value out of that consumption. But let's break it down. So, you first have, let, when we're going to start back, so first you have consumption, which is what everybody's doing, or at least most people are doing. Um, there's a lot of consumption that leads to a lot of distraction. But from consumption, you want to get comprehension, which is basically the retention of the uh, of the consumption, so comprehension is nothing more than the retention of the compens uh, the consumption, and then you have the creation. Creation is the experience that you have, and when you have that comprehension and retention, you're able to execute that and to create. Uh, that creation. Kind of similar to what I'm doing now in this podcast episode. I've been able to consume certain things. And I've been able to comprehend certain things. Which is allowing for the creation of this segment. And of this podcast. In this podcast episode. Uh, that you're currently listening to. But I would definitely say. Uh, try to spend more time in creation. And less time is consumption. It's also more fun, too. When you get to be in the driver's seat, you know, I think it's more fun to drive your own car than to have to drive somebody else's car. But that's just my personal opinion. But, yes, uh, the recommendation would be uh, more creation and less consumption. This was a very brilliant concept. Jim talked about how smart you are versus how are you smart. I'm going to say that one, t- one more time. How smart you are versus how are you smart. And this was brilliant. 
when he brought this down. And it's true. We do need to focus on how are we smart versus how smart we are. Because a lot of us have ego and we get caught up in, well, I'm smart. Or we always think about, well, how smart am I? And I think that's there's a better question, like he says, is to try to figure out is how am I smart? But there's four, I like to break down four components of it. The first component is self-awareness, which I agree with Gary Vee. Self-awareness is so sexy. And unfortunately, it's something that a lot of people just don't have or don't practice in today's society. But I think one of the main reasons why a lot of people don't practice self-awareness is because of insecurity and comparison. Insecurity, um, just not feeling good enough, haven't done the work. Uh, haven't developed, haven't uh, improved their confidence. But more importantly, the comparison part, you see certain people have certain gifts and talents and you, you want to have those same gifts and talents. And you feel like because they have those and because they may be getting admiration from them that, okay, you feel like that's what you need to do. And I may have talked about this before, but that's something that I had to learn, you know, uh, in high school was that I had certain gifts that had value. And just because I was an introvert, I wasn't extremely social and other people had very uh, social talents and strengths that I wanted to be more like those people. But especially with my friends, my friends would always tell me, and it was like, man, you know, you're smart, you're intelligent, you're thoughtful, you're articulate and stuff, and strategic, that, you know, those were some of the things that they wanted to, um, they wished that they could have got from me. So it was really an eye-open experience. But, yes, the first step or component in determining how are you smart is, Accepting self-awareness. Number two, or component two, is realizing that there's different types of intelligences. Uh, And we should really talk about these. But we really don't talk about them in society. We just look at one type of intelligence, which is uh, IQ. We don't take other type of intelligence into consideration. So there's the creative intelligence, which is the group that I belong to, which is what I talked about before, about uh, the creative geniuses or people that are creatives. So you have the creative uh, intelligence that people that they're very good at creative expression. Then you have the social intelligence, also known as uh, EQ or emotional intelligence. You have people that are very good with their emotions and they're also very good with people. I would also say there's a uh, humanity intelligence as well, that people that are very good at serving humanity, they just have that deep level uh, intelligence for humanity. And I think that goes deeper and that supersedes uh, beyond uh, emotional intelligence. So uh, 
I would say the humanity intelligence. Then, of course, you have the technical intelligence, which these are people that are very technical savvy, and, you know, it, it, it just comes to them, you know, as far as, um, you know, this could be systems, this could even be, um, this could even be um, financial. So people that are good at technology, people that are good at finance, uh, they will fall under the technical intelligence. Uh, also, uh, component three of how are you smart, this would be based on what I call uh, progressional advancement. Because like I previously said, you can have self-awareness, you got intelligence, but everything needs to be, there needs to be some type of development and there needs to be some type of uh, advancement to help you become a better version of yourself. And then the last phase would be the evolution and, and maturation, where you reach the highest levels of uh, becoming smart, making, uh, having influence, and having an impact. And that could be even on an international level. Jim talked about the millennium of the mind. This is the new millennium that is all about the mind. He talks about it's the age of adaptation and it's the ability to solve problems. And I think that's a phenomenal way to frame it, especially when it comes to the millennial mind, age of adaptation. We're currently in web 3.0 and we know with technology and societal changes and just life in general, everything is just changing so fast in which you have to adapt. And I think that was one of the reasons why when I wrote my book, I put in there the chapter about, you know, especially when it came to making more money or just in general, that's why I put a chapter about adaptability because that's really what life is all about. And especially, like I said, with new technologies and new innovation that's being created every single day, uh, we're definitely in the age of adaptation. If you don't adapt, you get left behind. And it's uh, very unfortunate that some people, you know, don't like change. Uh, and I think that's the reason why change management is so important, especially in businesses. But I think we also need to apply change management also into our personal lives as well. But yeah, we're definitely living in the age of adaptation. And then too, he talked about the ability to solve problems. I mean, that's really what life is all about. That's really what commerce uh, is all about. It's all about the ability to solve problems. That's what life is about any, anyway. Health, the ability to solve problems. Wealth, the ability to solve problems. And when it comes to relationships, the ability to solve problems. Usually though, when it comes to relationships, it's usually a communication problem. That's usually what it is. But yes, we're definitely living in the millennium of the mind um, of adaptation and solving problems. And, and of course, the better you are at adapting and the better you are at solving problems, the better you uh, will be of achieving your dreams and goals. I mean, I even know this from personal experience in my corporate career. Every time I've always had a big breakthrough or every time I've always achieved success, it always came from me adapting and solving problems. So mm, I, I highly agree uh, with Jim's recommendation uh, regarding these two aspects of the millennium of the mind.
What you see, you take care of. Now, this was so brilliant. This was very insightful. When he said, what you see, you take care of. Now, I wish this was really 100% true in reality, but it's great in theory and it's great in concept, but it has to be a paradigm shift in order for us to really take this concept and make it a reality. Uh, Health. A lot of us see that we're unhealthy, but unfortunately in the United States of America, over 50% of us are unhealthy or even obese. So it would be good if we would see a healthy body that would reinforce us to take care of a healthy body or if we saw an unhealthy body to want us to have a healthy body. Uh, Same thing in wealth. Uh, A lot of us can be a whole lot better with money. Uh, But usually when you do track your money, you do see your money more often. Uh, There's a percentage of us that could take care of our wealth better. But uh, the same thing with health. Um, It would be great if we would, you know, see it so that we can take care of it and also improve it and grow it. Um, Relationships, too. Also lack. Uh, We can definitely be better at relationships. Uh, But unfortunately, I think selfish and ulterior motives uh, tend to have a precedence uh, when it comes to relationships. And I think that's something that we need to work on uh, going into uh, this new year in 2023 at the time of this recording and also into the next decade. But I would have to say the area that Polly does Uh, get more execution from this is the material ownership in which usually the material ownership is where, you know, when people see it, they usually take care of it. Oh, you get a car. Usually people will take care of that car better than they would have health. Or if they get a nice house, they usually want to take care of that house better than they health or they want other relationships because it's the outside persona that you want to show others that hey, you know, that you're actually quote-unquote winning or that you're doing great to and sh- to use it as an aspiration so that the other person can say, okay, well, you know, John is doing this, so that means that I need to step my game up or Julie has this relationship or Julie is doing this, so I need to do this. And really it's a facade and they're not being honest uh, with themselves and with others. But uh, when done right, I do really think that this could be a very uh, powerful principle of taking care of what you see. What you eat affects how you think. This is very, very important. People don't understand the importance of nutrition. I even have family members that I try to talk to them about the importance of nutrition. And they're always, oh, I can eat what I want. I'll be all right. Uh, I haven't had any quote-unquote really major health issues and my doctor hasn't really said anything so that means that it's fine. No. You need to get proper nutrition. You need to take care of yourself. We only get one body. Like I said, I've been talking about this whole premature death thing ever since uh, probably 2020 or even 2021 about the importance of premature death. And a lot of premature death comes from our, our nutrition. We're not having uh, the proper nutrition that we that we need. So let's talk about it. 
Nutrition deficiency. That's right. Deficiency. Meaning not adequate, not at standard, not enough. So basically, you're not having enough nutrition for your body. Now, maybe it may be slow for you to see those negative results. But by you being nutrient deficient, eventually it's going to catch up to you. And what's going to wind up happening is uh, you're going to start burning uh, glucose. Instead of ketones, because the, the, the body burns, uh, has two energy sources. There's ketones and then there's, the, uh, there's glucose. Ketones is the natural process for the body uh, to burn energy and to replenish itself. And also that goes along with the body and, and making the body healthy. Glucose, on the other hand, is the sugar, is the intake that we take in. And yeah, that also aligns with insulin resistance. So what happens is, is that when we continue, every time you eat, you take in glucose. Well, when you get too much glucose, you have, you have a hard time being able to produce insulin, which is needed for the body. So now you become insulin resistant. So now what happens is, is that you have a deficiency in your cells and you can't get insulin in. It's blocked up. Now you have issues which can potentially lead to you having diabetes. But I'll talk more about that uh, later. So... Uh, so what winds up happening is this. So now let's go to nutrition sufficiency, which is the opposite. Nutrition sufficiency is when you have enough nutrition for your body and you're able to able to operate in a manner in which you should operate. But let's talk about the damage list. Yes, the damage list. Let's talk about the four things that leads to nutrient deficiency. Number one, processed meats. Number two, foods that are high in sugar, as I mentioned previously. Three, caffeine. And number four, which is alcohol. So processed meats, foods that's high in sugar, caffeine, and alcohol are all considered on the damage list. But what are the consequences of this damage list? Well, let's talk about it. The first thing is obesity. And we can definitely see that's happening. We have a lot of processed foods here in America. We have a lot of sugar. People constantly on caffeine, using it as a suppressant. And people currently love their alcohol. So there's, so there's, of course, there's a reason why we have a high obesity rate in the United States of America. I mean, it only makes sense. The next uh, risk is metabolic syndromes. So, 
metabolic syndromes fall under heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. So these all break down your metabolic processes in your body. Hence the reason why they're called syndromes. And usually when there's a syndrome, that means that there's not nothing good. Next is cardiovascular disease, also known as heart disease. But there's three types of heart disease, or there's three things that can influence heart disease or cardiovascular, should I say. The first is a coronary artery disease. And this is when there's damage or disease in the heart's major blood vessels. So more than likely there's a blockage. Or like you said, there's some type of damage, there's some type of disease in the heart. And especially with the major blood vessels, I mean, all of the blood vessels are important, but especially the major ones, yeah, that could lead to some uh, some serious uh, heart and health issues. Then, of course, you got high blood pressure. And this is when the force of the blood against the artery walls is too high. I'll say that again. Heart blood pressure is when the force of the blood against the artery walls is too high. There's too much force. There's too much pressure. It needs to be uh, reduced. And then, of course, you have cardiac arrest, where there's the sudden, unexpected loss of heart functioning, breathing, and consciousness. And this is definitely tried, tied to a heart attack or sometimes even a stroke. Both of these situations can lead to cardiac arrest. Or should I say cardiac arrest can lead to you having a heart attack or even having a stroke. And unfortunately, you know, I think this is what happened to my grandfather. And it's unfortunate too, but he was not the healthiest. He didn't fully take care of his health. Um, and hence, he went into cardiac arrest. And it's been 20 plus years now. But getting back to the episode... The next thing is type 2 diabetes, what I was previously talking about before. The pancreas does not have enough insulin. And insulin resistant, the body responds poorly to absorption. So when you don't take care of yourself, when you're eating all of this stuff, 
Like you said, like it says, it leads to type two diabetes. And the pancreas don't have enough insulin. Hence, there's insulin resistance. But part of this is, like I said, is because of the, uh, the glucose and the glycogen. But where does this come from? It's come from these sugar foods, eating all this sugar. So you got to cut down on the sugar. As I say, my favorite word, moderation. And then, of course, another thing, too, when it comes to um, nutrient deficiency or how what you eat affects how you think, the food that you eat can also affect your probability of getting depression, a mood disorder that causes persistent feeling of sadness and a loss of interest. So that's exactly what depression is. And part of it has to do with the nutrition that you currently eat. Reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. I'm going to say that again. Reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. And when he said it, this was brilliant. This was so brilliant. And it's so true. Reading is so important. Very, very important. I know people love to talk about, oh, exercise, 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 exercise. Yeah, you want to exercise the body. But you also want to be sound in mind. And reading also is very important. Let me give you some of the benefits. Number one, reading. Atrophy and stiffness, a.k.a. Close-minded. When you read more, you'll be more open-minded. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that you read and that you always have to agree with people when you're in communication with them. But by you reading, it will allow you to be open-minded. And to, like we said, your brain is a muscle. By you reading, like I said, the atrophy and your stiffness, your, your mind will be very flexible. By you continuing to have it read and to exercise it. That's basically what you do. The way you exercise your mind is through reading. Number two, reading also helps you combat negative influences. There's so many negative influences in the world. And we do need to guard our brain. We do need to guard our mind. And reading can do that, especially if you get a heavy dose of reading. I recommend at least try to read 30 minutes a day. And read whatever it is that you like. Hopefully, you know, usually positive. It doesn't have to be books, even though that is recommended. But just read every day for 30 minutes. Uh, it'll definitely help. And what you continually read and what you continue planting and, and putting yourself you will uh, show that on the outside number three reading helps stimulate your mood it does depending on what you're reading it could definitely stimulate your mood 
Creator can put you in a positive state of mind. But also, depending on what you read, can put you in a negative state of mind. And that's something that, you know, we want to try to eliminate or even minimize. But overall, reading can definitely stimulate your mood. I know there's been several times where I've been reading certain things and it has definitely stimulated my mood, definitely stimulated my mind, put me in a, you know, in a better position. Which leads right into number four, which reading can boost your energy. Read inspirational stories. We're just reading stuff that you can learn and and see how you can, you know, implement in your daily life. And number five, reading can be fun and it can be very relaxing. But number one, you have to go in with an open mind. And number two, you have to, you know, go in with that expectation. If you go in with a negative mindset, it's like, uh, I don't feel like reading. This is going to be boring. If, if your energy's off from the get-go, it's not going to work. I know because I've been that person. Like I talked about before, my mom used to always try to get me to read uh, when I was younger, as a child and as a teenager. But the reason why I always did that was because I was always reading something I wasn't interested in. That's why I say try to find something that you're interested in, try to find something that you like. So, recap. Reading helps you be open-minded. It helps you combat negative influences. It helps you stimulate your mood. It helps you boost energy. And reading can also be fun and relaxing. Jim says that power equals knowledge times action. I'm going to say it again. According to Jim Quick, power is knowledge times action. And I do think that to a certain degree he's right. Knowledge, which is very important, which is also why I talk about that in my book and which is also, I feel like it, that's principle number one, knowledge. Everything is about knowledge. That's the fundamental core of everything, knowledge. Then, of course, you just can't just know stuff. You got to do stuff, too, because that's how you actually get the results. You got to do action. So, yes, I can definitely see how power could be knowledge plus action. And people that are considered powerful or people that are considered influential, they definitely have knowledge, and they definitely take action. Adults' external words become children's internal words. I'm going to say that again. Adults' external words become children's internal words. And this is so true. I done heard several things growing up, and it affected me a lot. And not always in a good way. There were a lot of times, you know, negative things were said. And like I said, I internalized it. And for a while, it weighed on my confidence. It developed into an insecurity. 
And this is why adults have to really be careful because we watch what you see. You're our example. You're our leadership. We follow your lead. So what you say does become what we internalize. But once again, this is based on the paradigm. And we'll recap the paradigms. There's the fear paradigm. There's the survival paradigm, which is the default. There's the limited paradigm. There's the risk and reward paradigm. And then there's the abundance paradigm. But in that paradigm affects the perspective. And we'll recap the five perspectives. There's scarcity. There's minimalism. There's conservative. There's progressive. And then there's abundance. But because of those external words becoming a child's internal words, which is based on that adult's paradigm and perspective, but on the outside, it's because of the results that that adult has gotten. So let's put these pieces together. So as adults, you get certain results. And you start with the paradigm, you start with your perspective, but then your results enhance and can even cement or enhance your paradigm and your perspective. So you may start out, I'll give you an example. So you may start out with a survival paradigm, right? with a limited perspective. But then as an adult, you gotta get results. And now your results are not very satisfactory. There's cognitive dissonance. There's no alignment for what you think is not what you currently live. So, because your results are maybe poor or luckluster or subpar, now that enforces your paradigm, which you may not even be at a survival paradigm. Now you have the fear paradigm. Because you started with the default and you feel like you went, you regressed back. So now your paradigm is going to downshift. So now you're going to have, a, you know, so now you're going to develop a fear paradigm. And you're probably going to downshift in perspective as well. So now what you're going to have is you're going to have a scarcity perspective. And part of this is, is because the limitations are based on the results. So you tell these kids 
these words and they internalize it because you feel like you're protecting them. Because you're going to say that, well, we will all achieve the same. So to avoid that, you're going to tell them. And I've had people do that to me when I was younger. People would not accomplish or achieve certain things. And they'll tell me, hey, Joe, watch out for this. Or you shouldn't do this or this or this and this and that. They'll try to give me all type of advice. All because it didn't work out for them. Or because something happened. Maybe the strategy was off. Maybe the mindset was off. Maybe the execution was off. But nobody really told me why it didn't work. It's just like, oh, well, that just doesn't work. Another thing is, too, get enhancing that is misery loves company. And you, you should just accept your lot in life. Don't try to be too grand. Don't try to do too much. I'm miserable and I need company, so I need you to be miserable, too. So if everybody in our family prior to me never went to college and was always workers and never made more than $40,000, that's what you should do too. Don't go to college. Don't try to get a higher paying job or don't start a business. Don't become an entrepreneur. Don't get into the arts. Don't become a screenwriter. Don't become a filmmaker. Don't become a producer. Don't become a music artist. Don't become a painter. Why? Because I tried it in the past and it didn't work out for me and I want to protect you so that you don't have to go through what I went through. It sounds good in theory, but are you going to tell them why you didn't make it? Are you going to be honest with yourself and you're going to be honest with them? More than likely, no. But the, here's the real reason why they do that. It's because of devastation. And people will be embarrassed if you surpass them. So say, for example, they settle for less in life. But then you come along and surpass them. They're going to be devastated. They're not going to take accountability, but they're going to be devastated. And they're going to feel embarrassed because you came after them. You didn't really provide no blueprint for them. Like I said, you settled for less in life. You settled for average. You settled for mediocre. You settled even for worse. And now they decided, you know, how... Be tenacious, have persistence, have grit, be resilient. And they went out and did it and they surpassed you. And now you have to live with that regret, which is going to be very challenging. The life you live are the lessons you teach. Like I said, Jim gave a lot of great nuggets. The life you live are the lessons you teach. And it's true. Basically, your brand shines bright. 
the life you live are the lessons you teach for the good or for the better. If you're successful, you're healthy, you're wealthy, you have great relationships, the life that you live, you're teaching people lessons. You're giving them a blueprint on how they can achieve that same life. And vice versa as well. That's what I love about life. And life is uh, duality or polarity. You have, just like there's a high end, there's also a low end. But there's always green flags and there's always red flags in life. There's both. The question is, which one do you pay the most attention to? That is the real question. There's three master questions. How can I use this? Why must I use this? And when will I use this? Number one, how can I use this? This is very important. Every experience that we encounter, good or bad, that's a great question to ask. Okay, how can I use this? How can I use this for my benefit? That's a, that's a, that's a good way to get your mind going. The thing, why must I use this? What's the real lesson behind this? Why is this so important? And then, when will I use this? Is this something I will use tomorrow? Is this something I will use in a week? 30 days? 60 days? 90 days? 6 months? 12 months? 5 years? 10 years from now? So, I think these are all uh, great master questions to ask that can lead you to additional questions so that you can find the knowledge that you seek so that you can take more action and so that you can have more power and influence which will also lead you to achieving your goals and dreams faster and living a great life. The forgetting curve. 80% of what you listen to or experience, even on the podcast, an event, or even in a conversation, is gone in two days if you don't take notes. I'm going to say that again. 80% of what you listen to or experience is gone in two days if you don't take notes. This is why for me being a creative and I didn't have different, this is why I'm always taking notes. And always, you know, transfer it later, but always taking notes. And here's his strategy, Jim Quick strategy for taking notes. On the left side, you take notes. On the right side, you make notes. I'm going to say that again. On the left side, you take notes. On the right side, you make notes. The reason being is on the left side, you just want to take notes. But then on the right side, you're going to actually, the notes that you took, you're actually going to make notes. So that way you have the source material. So that way you don't fall into this forgetting curve. It's very effective and very powerful. I highly recommend you try it. Okay, so now we're going to go deeper. 
Why must I use this? Okay, well, let's get into it. Number one, reasons reap results. That's right. Reasons reap results. In order for you to get results, you have to know the reasons. Why is it so important? What's the reason behind these results? And this is something that I used to always ask when I was in corporate. Like I said, I was a, a mentor, a coach, a consultant, advisor, and a trainer. And even when I was consulting, even with management, even with executives, even with people of influence, they would always say X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay. My, and then my first question would be like, okay, well, why is this important? Why do we need this? What are we trying or uh, Or sometimes I'll say, well, what are we trying to accomplish? That was my way of translating it to me. I'm like, okay, well, what are we trying to accomplish? Okay, well, why is that important? Those were always my one-two punch. Okay, what are we trying to accomplish? And why is that important? Because I needed the reasons. I needed the reasons so that I could read the results. So I can help them solve that challenge. Next, why must I use this? Your head, your heart, and your hands. Your heart being your emotions. How does this affect your head? How does this affect your heart or your emotions? And how does this affect your hands? Three. I hope you're sitting down because I mean, this is really magical when Jim said this. We're not logical. We're biological. I'm going to say that again. We're not logical. We're biological. Basically, when he says we're biological, it comes down to neurotransmitters and hormones that's pretty much what he means when he says we're biological neurotransmitters are the bridge to send signals and to send messages hormones are to receive those messages and to regulate the physiology and the behavior of the body. I'll say that again. Neurotransmitters bridge to send signals and messages. Hormones receive those messages and those signals and regulate the physiology and the behavior of the body. So let's talk about it. The major hormones right dopamine which is associated with pleasure we have oxytocin which is associated with love a romantic connection and even contractions during birth with a woman then you also have serotonin which highly affects your mood 
your sleep, digestion, wounds, healing, and even the sexual desire for intimacy. This also affects lactation after birth as well. And oxytocin also affects the material bonding after birth. So unfortunately, when women experience postpartum after birth, it's because their oxytocin levels are low. And actually, correction, the lactation is in regards to oxytocin, not serotonin. Thought I'll just go ahead and clear that up right now. And then you have endorphins, which are basically the, they're natural painkillers. They help with pain and they help with stress. So, if you don't have the why, you won't do the what. I'm going to say that again because Jim dropped a very huge gold nugget when he said that. If you don't have the why, you won't have the what. That was, that was the same thing for me. Like I said, overcoming my mild depression. When I wanted to be, you know, the number one producer. Right? Why was I working hard? Why was I staying late? I was, why was I working on Prime? I was doing all of that stuff. Why? Because I wanted to be the number one producer. But why did I want to be the number one producer? Because I wanted to get my competitive edge back. Because I was chasing greatness. And I know I had to outwork and outlearn everybody. So, not only that, I was broke for two years. I had no money. I wanted to add value. I wanted to improve my life. These were all the reasons that helped me reap the results. It fueled me. It drove me. Those were the motivating factors. Those were the, the emotional drivers. It was the same thing, too, when I was training my trainees. I was trying to get emotional leverage on them. Because if I figured out they why, I was able to get them to do the work. And it's the same thing for me. When I went from broke, destitute, and depressed to being the number one producer, to eventually becoming a, a legend at the company, when it came time for me to reside, to pursue other opportunities. Double down on skills. Yes. This is so important. You want to double down on skills.
Why? For two reasons. Number one, you want to improve your competency. I say it all the time. Competency comes before compensation. If you want to be compensated, you need to improve your competency. Hence the reason why competency will come before compensation. But another reason why you want to double down on skills is because you want to strengthen your resourcefulness. This is another advantage that I had when I was in corporate. I was very resourceful. Even a lot of times or sometimes when I didn't have all of the resources. But because I had doubled down on my skills and because I had doubled down on my competency, I strengthened my resourcefulness. So whether it was a lack of whether it was a lack of time on a short deadline, or we didn't have certain resources to accelerate the process, to achieve the results even faster. Because of my resourcefulness, I was able still to get the job done. And I would probably say over 90-something percent of the time, we made it on deadline. There was very few times where we did not meet the deadline. Very few. I think it might have been maybe 1% or 2% of the time, but 98 to 99% of the time, we always met the deadline. Even with, you know, uh, limited resources so double down on your skills and the, the best way you do that there's two there's two ways to do that improve your competency and strengthen your resourcefulness this is something that i definitely need to get better at and i'm definitely going to work on this when it comes to 2023 but protect your time don't overcommit. say no and when you say no, set those boundaries. Yes, a lot of us, sometimes we overcommit. We don't want to say no to certain things. Sometimes you just got to let people know you can't make it or you can't do it. But yeah, you have to protect your time. And I think you should always set out some extra time to do the things that you want to do. Sometimes you want a little bit of extra, extra recreation time. But yeah, don't overcommit. And I think that's a lot of I think a lot of us can learn from that, especially us Americans. So uh I truly do believe Jim when he said, uh, protect your time, don't overcommit. And I'm all for being productive like everybody else, but yeah, sometimes we just overdo it. We try to do too much. And you just gotta, you know, just gotta go out and let life. I'm all for having a schedule, but yes, uh, limit overcommitting and learn to exercise that no muscle. Genius. We're all geniuses. Uh, especially shout out to my mentor, uh, Roger James Hamilton. He's the founder of Wealth Dynamics and also the creator of the Genius Test and the author of The Millionaire Master Plan, which is a great book. It's phenomenal. Uh, this is not a paid promotion, but I do highly recommend you go check it out. And he says there's four types of geniuses. There's the dynamo geniuses. They always have a lot of creative ideas, and they're very creative. Then there's the blaze genius. These are good with people. Uh, they, love, uh, they love relationships, and they love communication. Then you have the tempo geniuses which these are people that are good with emotional intelligence and they're good at sensing things. Uh, 
and they're very uh, observant, especially when it comes to their environments. And then you have the steel geniuses. These are people that are all about the details. So they love, they love uh, having systems and uh, they love to try to create leverage so that things can run uh, without them. But genius is really all about one thing. It's all about really pattern recognition. According to Jim Quint, it's all about really pattern recognition. Well, how do you build pattern recognition? You build pattern recognition through your mindset, and you build pattern recognition through your habits. I'll say that one more time. You build pattern recognition through your mindset, and you build pattern recognition through your habits. Then, too, genius can be, geniuses can be built, not born. Now, when he first said this, I had to fully understand the full context because this is what it is. Yes, we're born with potential, but genius can be built with dedication decision, a.k.a. trained and developed. So, yes, we're born with potential, but that genius has to be trained and, de and developed in order for it to actualize its actual and fullest potential. The biggest regret from old people, they limit their results and their outcomes based on other people's expectations. This is why when Jim mentioned that adults' external words affect a child's internal words, this is exactly this. A lot of people stopped doing stuff or didn't do stuff because of somebody else's expectations or because of somebody else's opinions. Now, you want to try to listen to people because people can lead you and they can help you. But at the end of the day, you have to make that decision. And you have to be okay with the results. Sometimes they'll give you advice and sometimes you do things. And they are trying to protect you and they are trying to help you learn. But sometimes you do have to take a chance on yourself and just go for it. So, yes, I can understand how that could be a big regret for old people especially, unfortunately, on their deathbed. And last but not least, building brain cells. There's four ways we build brain cells because brain cells is what really allow us to live our fullest potential and to really enjoy life. Number one, novelty which is also a flow trigger. Special shout out to Stephen Collin uh, with the Flow uh, Research Institute. Uh, nutrition, rest, and sleep. So let's talk about it. Novelty. Novelty, as I said, is a flow trigger. It helps us get into flow, which is a high level and optimal state of mind. And it can novelty can actually when done correctly, can help us get into our alpha and even to our data states of mind, which can shut down the prefrontal cortex and, from a neurological level, build uh, brain cells in the background 
since the prefrontal cortex is shut down. Nutrition, of course, we talked about that. Nutrition uh, sufficiency. Uh, nutrition is definitely needed for the body. And as I mentioned earlier with the ketones versus the uh, glucose, which is the sugar. So, of course, uh, uh, with the proper nutrition, it can definitely help us build brain cells. Rest, not always having to be severely active. I can definitely see how that can help us build brain cells. And then, of course, lastly, which is the most important, which is what I'm a huge advocate for, sleep. Most of the body does this repair and growth at night is when you sleep. Why do you think when people have growth spurts or even uh, a voice change, when it doesn't happen? It happens at night. It happens when you sleep. It happens through adolescence. It happens through puberty. Puberty. That's exactly what happened to me. I had a growth spurt. I was always medium height. Now, I have genetics in which on my father's side of the family, most of us are, at least, at least the, especially the guys, we're all six feet and taller. I'm six two, but we're all six feet and taller. And the women are tall too for their height, at least, you know, averaging between five seven and five nine. So when I had my growth spurt, as far as my legs growing and growing into my height, that happened when I was asleep with my voice. My voice didn't really start getting deeper until I pretty much almost hit high school. I was like 13, the back end of 13, going into 14. So my voice started to change. What happened? I went to sleep one night, and I had a high-pitched voice, and then the next day I woke up and I had a deep voice. But still, it happens with sleep. So the final recap for building brain cells Number one, novelty. Number two, number two, nutrition. Number three, rest. And number four, most importantly, my favorite, sleep. Thank you for listening to the Paradise and Perspectives podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of this podcast. And that this podcast will assist with you changing your paradigm and changing your perspective so that you can live the life that you was meant to live. And we look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode. Thank you and have a good day.